From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And let me welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast. Maybe this is your very first visit. If it is, an especially warm welcome to you. Ahead, we've got 30 or 40 minutes of information about cannabis. Happens to be the plant that I absolutely love, and perhaps you have the same feelings. Before we get too far, let me remind you, this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction, and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In episode 134, we are celebrating five years of legal cannabis in Canada, and I opine on the changes I've seen in those five years of doing that podcast. Classic cultivars are struggling with the current THC obsession, and a new study validates that the entourage effect has more impact than THC alone. Apparently, cannabis is not making us creative like we think. And on Cultivar Corner, more local BC bud, just up the Okanagan Valley, from Lotus Cannabis at Armstrong, it's Tranquil Elephantizer. Sounds like an indica, doesn't it? All of that and more on episode 134 of the Cannabis Podcast. When you think about it, it's hard to believe. It's been five years since the weed that I'm imbibing at the moment was legalized in the country I was born in. Five years of legal cannabis in Canada. It's one of the reasons why this podcast exists. Because, frankly, if weed wasn't legal, there will, I would not really have the premise to be doing this. <laughs> Although I guess I could just do a podcast on cannabis, whether it's legal or not. But here we are, five years. I thought it would be an interesting perspective to take a peek back at, at some of the things that I think has changed in those five years. THC levels, first of all. <laughs> There's one. When things first started back in October 17, 2018, most of the weed you were getting was in the 17, 18%, 20% was considered pretty high at that time. (laughs) We're selling weed now in pre-rolls, three and a half grams that's going at 30 to 35% THC. So yeah, THC levels have changed a little in five years. The other thing that I find really interesting is the perception and the information being disseminated about terpenes. I mean, we all knew the terpenes existed if we weren't actually saying the the name. And back in 2018, if you had a label for legal cannabis in Canada, the word terpene did not exist on that label. It wasn't, again, not that we thought, didn't think about it. It just didn't have the same perception of relative importance. And now, five years down the line, most cannabis labels will have some indication of the terpenes that are there, and some even go so far as to list all of the different cannabinoids. It's come a long way in five years. We're still heavy on indica, sativa, and hybrid. Even though there has been so much discussion about the fact that we all understand that that really doesn't matter, that it is, in fact, the terpene profile and the other cannabinoids and and the esters that are associated to that, that are creating the the taste and the effect and the smell. But still, (laughs) 
we have a section for sativa, a section for indica, and a section for hybrid. And typically somebody comes in looking for either one or the other. There's that maybe 5 to 10% that say, it doesn't matter to me either. It's just weed. It'll be interesting to see five years down the road if that has changed. If instead of the indica, sativa, and hybrid, we now literally are giving a chemovar description of, of what that particular cultivar strain contains instead of indica, sativa, or hybrid. So that's been really interesting. The format is another thing that has changed drastically in the five years that we've been doing this. In the initial time, it was eights and grams. It was hard to get a quarter. You could get some. I still remember making one of my first purchases for Cultivar Corner. I wanted a, a quarter because I like to buy quarters. A quarter, I can't remember what the strain was. <laughs> and it was from the BC Cannabis Store online. And because of the weird way things were being organized at that point, the only quarter they could give me was seven one-gram containers. <laughs> Thankfully, those days are gone. We sell maybe five grams, like five different types of grams now. In the early days of cannabis, there was a lot of grams, and there was a lot of three and a halves, uh, which, or an eighth, however you want to refer to it. That's changed considerably, too. There's a lot more quarters, there's a lot more half ounces, and there is a lot, there it is, or are, there are a lot more ounces available for sale. And the prices, comparatively, have also come down. In the early days, in those first few years of legalization after 2018, you were buying an eighth of cannabis, you were probably paying 35 to 40, sometimes 50 bucks for really good weed at that time, or what was considered to be really good weed at that time. Maybe I should put that perspective on it. And now you can get a quarter. Sometimes in some cases, you can get 14 grams of cannabis for that same $50. And an ounce... In the early days, if you took, well, uh, let's let's say you, well, you've done the math before. We had virtually two to $300 ounces if you combine the price of what the eighths were and, and you got eight of them. <laughs> we have ounces now for 75 bucks. Now, the THC is what we're all playing with, but there's also some debate, and that I don't think has changed, about whether that THC value is as important as we think it is. But certainly the formats and the prices have changed dramatically in the five years we're here. The whole retail landscape has changed. In the early days, a lot of the early episodes of this podcast, we focused on the fact that there were no stores. <laughs> they were so slow to open in BC. I know in Alberta, they were very fast. Uh, in Ontario, a little bit slower. The lottery system, I think, was in play in Ontario in the early days. And it took a long time for those retail outlets to open enough so that there could be a penetration into the cannabis market. And it's still amazes me to this day that there are municipalities in many of the provinces that still do not allow cannabis stores. <laughs> Which I guess brings me to stigma. <laughs> stigma has, is still with us. It has been with us since the very beginning. The stigma about the locations that are available, even if the municipality will allow you to have a store, if they do, it's likely going to be on the bad side of town. <laughs> If you can perceive that there is a bad side of town because there's a cannabis store there. <laughs> the protective covering. Remember the window coverings that every store had to be completely encased with when cannabis was first legalized? It happened all across the country. I think Alberta was one of the first to relent a little bit and allow some of that covering to come off. BC, the same thing. And that created a whole bunch of safety issues. And and I never quite bought... <laughs> 
The reason that the stores were covered because they did not want a child to walk by that store and see a cannabis package. I never quite understood that part of the legislation. I'm so glad we can actually have some of our windows open. We can see out into the world and some of that light can come into our store. And the scales have changed. Those big cannabis companies that were so prevalent in the early first few years, they don't seem to play as big a part as craft cannabis does today. We'll see if that continues to change. Packaging, unfortunately, hasn't gotten much better. I referenced the fact that that one time I tried to get a quarter and I ended up with seven one grams. And each of those was in one of those plastic pill containers that was hard plastic, take how many hundreds of years to decompose, if ever? And seven of them for one seven-gram package? But quite honestly, it hasn't gotten much better. I look around at the packaging I'm still dealing with, and well, maybe there isn't so much of that. There's some glass that's out there, and but we still got so many of these plastic envelopes that are incredibly hard for us to open. Why do they have to be so difficult to open? Please, somebody tell me that. <laughs> maybe it's a skill that I just cannot acquire. I'm not sure exactly what the situation is from that perspective. But I do have to say, the quality of the weed from five years ago we are in a much better world. Certainly in the legal world, and I know that there are those that are going to say, from in terms of the legacy world, uh, it's always been the same kind of quality. But I can certainly say from the legal perspective, the weed five years ago, well, there were some references in some early cultivar corners where the weed I picked up was so dry you could literally crumble it in your fingers. And while I'm sure there are still exceptions and you perhaps can find something that's been sitting on somebody's shelf for a few months that may be still in that manner, the majority of the weed that we're getting is really high-quality cannabis. Talk to my buddy Jeff from Smoker Farms and that Master Kush Ultra. Just sweet primo weed. Bill from Purifier and Penticton doing the same thing. The folks at Sweetgrass and the Kootenays. Some fine, fine weed that's being grown in our country and in our province. So really pleased that that has been a big change since 2018. Stigma is still a huge issue. It was a big issue in 2018 when stores were opening up and municipalities were debating about whether or not they should even have these stores, these dastardly cannabis stores opening up in their community. But still, there are those who still feel the same way about those stores. It's gotten a little better in certain circumstances, but we got a long way to go in terms of stigma goes. Now, one of the joys of doing this podcast for almost five years now, I have sampled 120 different cultivars. Now, if we add that up, <laughs> which I thought I'd do just to get a reference, let's say 35 bucks a piece, because most eights, if we average them out around that box, came up to, uh, well, the, the number 420 came up, and then add another zero to that. So 4,200 bucks. <laughs> roughly in retail, spent on what was originally called Strain Review. And then I had a conversation with my very talented son, Ian. You are all familiar with him, of course. And that's when we created Cultivar Corner, or shall I say, he created Cultivar Corner. <laughs> he created the jingle and I went with the name. And I hope that every time you hear it, you sing along. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Ian. I am so happy to have that as the intro for the show. And it has truly helped establish Cultivar Corner as a segment that is probably the most popular segment. 
But again, I speak for myself. As I was doing the editing, I realized that I missed a couple of significant points. I talked about terpenes earlier, but really what we're talking about now is the percentage of terpenes. That didn't occur in the early days of legalization, but now almost every package has the percentage of terpenes, and they are ranging from, well, I saw one that was about 0.65, which I wondered why they put that on the label, <laughs> all the way up to we are seeing terps in some of our vapes now sitting in the 10, 11, and 12% range. So definitely adding the terps to the label, a big change that's occurred in the last five years. And the other thing I guess I was remiss in mentioning was pre-rolls. Pre-rolls have become to dominate the market. And you know, I've been fairly outspoken in my opinion of pre-rolls and the cost per gram perspective involved with pre-rolls. It's, it, it's getting worse actually. <laughs> but those who love their pre-rolls love their pre-rolls and they have changed dramatically. We've got pre-rolls now, not only in, in terms of what's being offered, but the size of them. Most of them were 0.35s in those little cones for the longest time. Then we had the Redican straight ones that came out, like a cigarette. The same thing from Shred Darts now. They've really changed, but the biggest change in pre-rolls has been infused. That is definitely the biggest market in pre-rolls now. Uh, whether they are infused with some concentrate, being it some rosin, some hash, or some distillate. And then, of course, the addition of botanical terpenes huge in the pre-roll world with all the flavors that are out there. And I know it's the market that is after those flavors and they're just delivering what the market is after. But that again, huge, huge change in the last five years since cannabis started. We didn't see anything with infused pre-rolls back then, but now they are becoming very, very prominent. And the THCs just keep climbing. We've had one and they were the Shred Narberry Heavies, came in at 50% THC. That's a lot of THC in a joint. <laughs> so we're seeing that regularly now. Our infused stuff is easily sitting in the high 30s, the 35, into the 42, 43, 44, and 45% range. So that has been another huge change since legalization. It's interesting how sober second thought can bring up things that, again, perhaps you hadn't thought of before. I realized as I was editing again that I'd missed probably three really important points. For the first two years of legalization, it was just weed. That's all we had. There was nothing else available. And then the introduction of edibles and concentrates and vapes. And that changed everything for a lot of people. Now, the edibles, of course, were tapped or capped at a 10 milligram per package limit. And then there was some playing with that in, I guess, about year four of legalization where some companies started to experiment with the fact that, well, if we call it something different than an edible, like perhaps an extract, then we can put 100 milligrams in it, or 300, 1,000 milligrams in a package. And so they tried doing that with some gummies that were introduced at 10 milligrams per and 10 of them in a package for 100 milligrams. Also some lozenges that had packages up to 250 milligrams. And then towards the end of year five, Health Canada decided, no, we don't like that. And they suspended, even though they had licensed those products. They then suspended the license for those products, and our THCs are back down to 10 milligrams per package. So the edibles were an interesting introduction. The concentrates, another huge introduction for a certain part of the market. A lot of people just want to smoke their concentrates. We have a number of them come into the store. So hash got introduced, the resins, the rosins, the butters, the batters, the shatter. 
just a plethora of concentrates that are out there, considering what we had in year one, which was none. <laughs> and then the same thing with vapes. Again, because of the classification, they are extracts. There can be a thousand milligrams of THC in a particular product. And we're seeing them get close to that. <laughs> THC levels in vapes now are in the 94, 99 or 94.9% range. Of course, it depends whether you're just doing distillate, which is generally those high THCs, or whether it's more of a full spectrum, whether it's some live resin or something like that, where your THC is a little lower in the 79 to 80% range, going more for the entourage effect. But vapes have been huge, as have been concentrates and edibles. So there is a, a whole different product line that wasn't even there when legalization first started. And so I don't have to come back again after I edit once more. Let's not forget the drinks. <laughs> that has been a fairly recent introduction and is gaining more popularity. I actually had somebody in the store yesterday, comes in every week, buys a case of cannabis drinks, THC drinks, and his wife has one every night before bed and has a fantastic sleep. So there's lots of reasons to be looking at all the various cannabis products, the drinks, the vast array of flavors, duplicating again, in terms of taste, going for that audience that grew up with all the various root beers and oranges and ginger ales, and they've duplicated most of those. Uh, many people find that they're quite effective, uh, and they can have a couple over the course of an evening. So let's not forget the drinks. And I think, I can't think of anything else that I've forgotten yet, but maybe I will still. How have the five years been for you? It's certainly been a ride. There's so much more that, that, that has occurred that I could cover off, but I don't want to ramble on for the entire episode. I want to cover off some other stories that cover some of the changes in the cannabis world. What's been the experience for you? What's the thing that stands out the most? Send me a note. Tell me about it. I'd love to hear it. 2018 to 2023, five years of legal cannabis in Canada. I think that deserves another toke. Cheers. Should we come up with our own word? Like, cheers doesn't really work there. So let's try. Toke. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And for our first story today, we're going to StratCan.com. This is a story written by Kieran Delamont. The THC obsession leads to a market without many of your most beloved cultivars. By his own admission, Jonathan Wilson is a vintage kind of guy. I love retro, older music. Everything I listen to, music-wise, is 70s, 80s, 90s grunge, he says. It pays tribute to those who paved the way. This goes for the cannabis he grows at his New Brunswick microcultivator, Crystal Cure, too. When the company launched in December 2020, it launched with two strains, Wedding Cake and Apple Chem. The Wedding Cake tested at 20.2% THC, while the Apple Chem tested at 17.8%. They put us on the map, he says. It showed people how we approach what we grow in this legacy style. Both, he says, were able to fetch a premium price from buyers. But those days are gone, Wilson says. Today, a 17.8% strain, no matter how good it is, will struggle to find a buyer. A 20.2% strain might get on store shelves, but would likely struggle to sell. And chances are you won't get the price you want for it, he says. As THC levels have been pushed higher since legalization, consumers have kept pace. Ask just about any retailer, and they'll tell you that one of the most common questions customers have is what product has the highest THC? And a bit of a sidebar. Boy, is that ever true. <laughs> 
but there's a there's a caveat to that. <laughs> Highest THC, lowest price. <laughs> Sometimes there's a quality ingredient in there, but it's usually a highest EAC, lowest price. <laughs> End of sidebar. But that may be steering them away from a lot of great classic cultivars. Legacy genetics, classic cultivars like Purple Kush, Cindy 99, Lemon Haze, are effectively being crowded out of the market, they say, as provincial distributors are reluctant to list lower THC products. Josh, the owner of Fine Cannabis in Niagara, Josh prefers not to use his last name, says he has several classic cultivars that will never see light of day thanks to a preference at the provincial distributor level for higher THC products. Whether official or not, the reluctance of buyers to take on mid-range THC products, anything from 15 to 20% THC, is a much-discussed factor in today's cannabis market. Few, if any, wholesale buyers will admit to it, but growers report that there is effectively a threshold of around 20% THC. I asked Wilson, is this rumored threshold really enforced? It is, of course it is, of course it is. Any lower and you'll struggle to get listed. That, in turn, influences the kinds of decision growers are making. It prevents any of the original classics that might have been around that I might have thought about bringing in for nostalgia purposes, like any of the old Northern Lights crosses. Josh of Fine Cannabis says, I know people would definitely remember the flavors, but again, those all got the kibosh as well. Those are the kinds of things we were hoping to bring in to really reflect the legacy greats, and it's not worth it for us to get that stuff. Mark Kvist, the co-owner of Lifecycle Botanics, a cannabis nursery in B.C., says that from what he's heard from producers, the new threshold is closer to 25% THC. It's always a struggle in our position with supplying genetics to producers and really not being able to give them a lot of great genetics that don't hit that 20-25% THC level, Kvist said. We've had so many great genetics that we've just discontinued or not even brought into production for that reason. I think the threshold is 25% now. The bar keeps getting higher and higher, really. But there seems to be little evidence that the THC obsession is waning. Most producers are pushing THC levels higher and higher, however legit you think those numbers are. And consumers aren't pushing back. Mids are just not hot right now, despite the best efforts of many in the industry. We're going to be showcasing lower-potency cultivars to our clients, says Bain, bringing them by the farm to showcase these products and trying to bring awareness to cultivars that are on the lower side of THC. But at the end of the day... It needs an industry-wide education campaign. It won't change overnight. Many producers express hope that once the fever breaks in regards to high THC, consumers and the THC numbers will come back down to earth, and the consumers will likely benefit from a flood of previously held-back cultivars. Bain mentions an orange daiquiri cultivar he has with 3.5% terpenes that he can't bring to market yet because it sits between 17 and 20% THC. We have a cultivar that has an amazing marketable name, an amazing marketable lineage, marketable terpene profiles. It has that taste and experience consumers want, he says. It's just missing that one characteristic of that higher THC. But the inflection point hasn't hit yet, and provincial buyers still see high demand for high THC products. Many wonder how much longer it can possibly go on for, and I agree with that sentiment. The high THC fear has to break sometime and perhaps we can get back to reality. For our next story, we're going back to theounce.ca, and a story written by my buddy David Wiley. The entourage effect, not THC potency, is responsible for the psychoactive experience of cannabis, says a new study. Well-known vape company Pax partnered with Canadian neurotechnology companies Entrella to leverage brainwave research. They found full-spectrum beats distillate in onset and effect, Consumers looking for psychoactive effects, 
typically shop for cannabis products based on THC, which is a bit of a fallacy, says PAC's VP of Product Development, Brian Whitland. In the spirit of continuing to advance cannabis research and understanding of the plant, which has been far too limited for much too long, we wanted to demonstrate through scientific study how full-spectrum products with a full range of terpenes and cannabinoids have a more profound impact on the onset and ultimate cannabis experience. Full-spectrum refers to cannabis products such as vapes or oils that maintain an array of compounds that are naturally occurring in the cannabis plant, such as cannabinoids, terpenes, and other elements that keep it closer to the dried flower experience. Distillate, on the other hand, goes through much more refinement to hone in on the cannabinoid and flavor concoction. We hope this type of insight helps consumers understand that shopping for products based on THC percentages alone is not the leading indicator of expected experience, he says. An EEG-based analysis was used for quantifying these psychoactive effects. Key findings suggested that whole plant full-spectrum products can produce a statistically significant faster onset and more than double the psychoactive experience than distillate products with comparable THC potencies. The cannabis industry suffers from a lack of objective scientific product effect information, says an introduction to the study. That's because of a combination of factors, including a difficult regulatory environment, the lack of objective scientific research tools for characterizing cannabis effects, and a cost-time-effective framework for conducting human trials, it says. The study compared two distinct inhalable cannabis products made by PACs that have similar TAC potencies. Live Rosin with Natural Diamonds and Blue Dream, a full-spectrum live rosin-based product which preserves natural cannabinoids and terpenes, and high-purity THC in berry gelato, a distillate-based product. About 30 people consume cannabis vapor from a Pax Era Pro device, while Centrella's non-invasive portable EEG device recorded data from eight brain regions, both before and after product consumption. Half hit the Blue Dream, and the other half the berry gelato. They used Cognalyzer, an AI-based EEG analysis that uses machine learning on large EEG datasets to detect specific brainwave changes. The tech converted EEG data into psychoactive effect levels on a standardized scale. In conclusion, the objective brainwave analysis conducted in this study reveals noteworthy distinctions in the psychoactive experience between the study groups that inhaled the live rosin Pax Aeropod and the high-purity THC Pax Aeropod. The first group exhibited a considerably faster and more potent psychoactive response compared to the latter group. A key contributor to these disparate outcomes may be attributed to the different compounds present in the live rosin versus the high-purity THC. Notably, the live rosin extraction method preserves not only THC, but an array of other terpene compounds inherent to cannabis flowers. It is possible that the intricate interplay of these compounds contributes to the heightened psychoactive effect witnessed with live rosin, and suggests that THC alone is not the sole contributor to potency. Evidenced by the more mellow THC psychoactive experience associated with berry gelato high purity, in contrast to the blue dream, more than two consecutive hits may significantly amplify the potency and accelerate the onset time of the THC psychoactive response. Future brainwave studies are envisioned to validate and consolidate these findings. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense, even though I haven't done any scientific study or research on it. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why distillate and vapes does nothing for me, yet smoking a joint of cannabis that has all the other cannabinoids and terpenes associated to it 
gives me the entourage effect in every joint I smoke. And I think that's why I much prefer smoking and frankly get no effect from distillate. Although I have tried, I have tried a 510 cartridge that used live resin and it gave me a buzz. So maybe there is hope for that. Anyways, the entourage effect, I think, plays a big deal in the effects you experience. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to the corner. Go to the corner. Oh, yeah. Go to the corner. Please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're staying relatively local. Staying in the Okanagan Valley, and let's move to the North Okanagan Valley, and a little town called Armstrong, where they hold the International, uh, what is it, the IPE. Yeah, the Interior Provincial Exhibition. Uh, They hold that every year, a big event at Armstrong, but guess what? (laughs) There's also some people there growing some pretty good weed. Well, at least we're about to find out if the people there are growing some pretty good weed. This is from a company called Lotus Cannabis in Armstrong and distributed by Herbal Dispatch, which is distributing a bunch of different growers. And this is Tranquil Elephantizer. Doesn't that just sound like an indica? (laughs) Tranquil Elephantizer is a Bodhi Seeds cross between 88G13 hash plant and the powerful Snow Lotus. This indica-dominant cultivar has high TAC potency and a pungent and earthy aroma that has hints of sweetness grown by Lotus Cannabis Company in Armstrong, B.C. What's the THC on this guy? 30.4% and the Terps sitting at 2.9. And let's get into what some of the aromas are. So Tranquil Elephantizer, we've already talked about the cross, a pungent and earthy aroma that has a hint of sweetness. Mm, so I have transferred my 14 grams of Tranquil Elephantizer over into my seabolt. And I pull that up, and yeah, there's definitely some earthy aromas and some hints of sweetness in there. Nice big buds. So I did get the 14 grams. Uh, package date was in uh, mid-July, thereabouts. And there's some really nice big buds in here. Pull out my jeweler's loop. Let's take a look at some of these buds and see how frosty they are. Well, I can see some terps. Well, I, I can't actually see terps. If I could see terps, <laughs> I would be a millionaire. <laughs> so, no, I can't see the terps. <laughs> I can see the trichomes, however. <laughs> and they are there. Not terribly vast that I can see, but we'll leave that to the determination of what the effect is. As I say, lots of nice... Big buds. Very green in nature. Green with a lot of dark red hairs. And again, earthiness is the primary component that I'm getting out of it. What are the terps that we have to deal with here? Limonene sitting at 0.83%. Farnesine at 0.43%. And caryophylline at 0.35%. Okay, so I think we got enough description. Let me get my... Air Max warmed up so that we can give a try through the vaporizer. And let me get a joint rolled. And we will do the traditional cultivar corner where we're doing both of them. And uh, let me get that fired up and we'll start getting that joint ready. Okay, as I pull the buds apart, let me get a sense of 
how sticky and resonant-y they are. And then some nice stick to them. Good size bond, pulls apart nicely. We're ready. I got my joint rolled. I've got the Air Max all warmed up, ready to pop. Let's do the joint first. This is, let me get back to the material so I can be sure that I'm talking about it. This is Tranquil Elephantizer from Lotus Cannabis Company in Armstrong, BC. Now indicated as a pretty heavy indica, so I could be running a bit dangerous today. This is the start of my Saturday, <laughs> and I decided to give it a, a wondrous start with the cultivar corner of a very strong indica. So once again, the terps on this guy are limonene, farnesine, and caryophylline. I have the link to the site uh, on the show notes. In fact, you can go there. You can see the whole COA for Tranquil Elephantizer. Really nice, smooth start. Oh, wow. And did that go into my happy eyes so fast? I'm going to put the joint aside. I'm going to get the weed into my Air Max. And now let's see what we can taste. Oh, definitely more of those earthy notes. I'm surprised there's no myrcene. Uh, well, there probably is. I'm surprised there's no myrcene listed on the terpene just because of the earthiness there. Oh, yeah, but boy, you sure get a lot of those earthy tones when you're going through the vaporizer. It's still a nice smooth hit through the joint. I'm not feeling any great need to cough, which, as you know, is always a concern when I'm doing Cultivar Corner. Mm. Oh, my, and there they are. <coughs> okay, a little cough. Just a tiny little one. And I realized that I might be responsible for some of that coughing. I've not learned my lesson about inhaling and holding the smoke in my lungs. You're not supposed to hold it in your lungs, apparently. <laughs> Why didn't someone tell me this 50 years ago? <laughs> if you just inhale and exhale, there is no propensity to coughing. Okay, I'm going to go for my second bowl on the Air Max. Loving the taste of it in there. Get enough in it to give me a bit of a, a flavor punch. And here we go again. Alrighty. Oh, yeah, nice bowl. Feeling nice in the body. <laughs> I may end up having a nap this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily the best thing to, to, to do a heavy indica first thing on a Saturday morning, but hey, I don't play by the regular rules. <laughs> oh yeah, liking the joint, liking the Air Max, and liking the way I'm feeling. This is a really nice stone. Not the, not the exuberance that we've been getting from the sativas of late. Definitely more of that, oh, the body stone. Get a little rush down my back. Mmm. And feeling just chill. Oh, yeah. 
Happy eyes are there. Contentment is there. Euphoria is there. Nice. This is going to be a easy morning. <laughs> I hope I don't have a series of chores that I have to do today because they might get neglected. <laughs> yeah. Another BC grown product grown in the Okanagan Valley. Mm, real earthy on that. Lots of nice big buds. Lots of green color. Well trimmed. There's another reason to head up to the IPE. Pick up some cannabis from Lotus Cannabis. <sighs> Tranquil Elephantizer has certainly brought some tranquility to my life today. And as I am wont to do on occasion after having had the cannabis roll around my endocannabinoid system for a few minutes, this has moved into a really deep body stone. <laughs> this is, this is definitely heavy on the indica side. Looking for some great relaxation. You want to chill? <laughs> Tranquil Elephantizer is really chilling me today. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always been of the impression that I can get a little bit more creative after I've smoked some cannabis. A story from 420intel.com suggests otherwise. Cannabis doesn't make you more creative, but you think so. If you're smoking to get the creative juices flowing well, that ain't going to do it. It's often said that smoking cannabis is a good way to get more creative. It seems to make sense, as well as you see things pretty differently when you're high, so I've heard. <laughs> good good uh, sidebar there, author. Steve Jobs famously said, The best way I could describe the effect of the marijuana and hashish is that it would make me relaxed and creative. And the likes of Lady Gaga have also praised marijuana's creativity-inducing ability. No doubt, the idea that cannabis makes you more creative has already become common knowledge. But this bit of common knowledge may be completely wrong. We're still behind on cannabis research as the complete prohibition has also prevented academics from studying the effects it has on the human body. But in recent years, several states and countries have relaxed their position on cannabis, legalizing it for recreational purposes or at least allowing researchers to study it. So researchers got thinking. Are the myths around cannabis consumption true? Christopher M. Barnes, Yu Tsi Heng, and Kai Chi Yam from the University of Washington and the National University of Singapore wanted to put that to the test. As academic researchers focused on workplace behaviors and performance, we have conducted numerous studies related to different factors that can influence employees. But research on the impact of cannabis in the workplace is still fairly limited. And so we were curious to explore how using weed at work might be affecting employees and organizations, the researchers explained in an article that accompanies our research. They recruited over 300 regular consumers of cannabis from Washington State, where recreational cannabis is allowed. Due to ethical reasons, the researchers couldn't really get random people and ask them to consume cannabis, so they had to recruit people who were already consuming it regularly. The scientists then carried out two studies. Their participants were split into two groups. The first group was asked to do a task within 15 minutes of smoking a joint or vaping, and the other was asked to do the same task having not smoked in the past 12 hours. In the first study... Participants were asked to keep as many creative uses for a brick as possible, a task that is often associated in creativity research. In the second study, participants imagined they worked for a consulting firm that had been hired to help a local music band increase revenue, 
and again were asked to generate as many creative ideas as possible. Then both the participants and an external panel of research assistants and experts judged how creative the ideas were. In all studies, participants also put down how they felt and how good they thought their ideas were. The high participants felt happier and cheerful. They were, on average, in a way better mood. This led them to evaluate responses, both their own and those of others, as more creative. In other words, when people got high, they felt they were more creative, as were the ones around them. But the experts found no difference in creativity for high and non-high participants. Researchers say that the results should be evaluated with nuance. The findings show that cannabis didn't make people any less creative either. So if people's jobs depend on generating creative ideas, then blanked bans on cannabis may not do much good. But if people's jobs evolve evaluating creative ideas, then smoking pot is probably not a good idea. So there's some information from 420intel.com suggesting that we may not be as creative as we think we are after we've smoked some weed. As always, I want to thank you so much for being a listener. I truly do appreciate you're here. And let me also thank my supporters, Kevin and Jordana at buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast, where if you like what you hear and you feel so inclined, you could buy me a doobie, a virtual doobie, that is. <laughs> and also thanks to my patrons at Patreon, Tony and Roger, plus Rob, Justin, and Gage, who are enjoying ad-free episodes. You'll find the links for those at cannabispodcast.com, or if you're on the show page, they're all up in the top right. And that's it for episode 134 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.